You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. So very recently, Philippe Platel of the Cultural Attaché from the French Embassy and also the Creative Director for the French Film Festival uh, contacted us and uh, shared with us that uh, Ludwig Logier is who the creator of... Uh, curator of the Department of Greek, Etruscan and Roman Antiquities at the Louvre, will be visiting Melbourne. And it's very timely because it's the 30th anniversary of I.M. Pei's uh, glass pyramid at the Louvre. So we're thrilled to have a, a talk tonight presented by the Louvre Museum, presenting 30 years of the Louvre pyramid. And before we begin, we're here in a land that has uh, been occupied for 60,000 years by a living culture the oldest living culture on earth. And I'd like to pay my acknowledgement, uh, pay my respect to uh, the, the, uh, the custodians of the land in which we're meeting tonight, the Boonwurrung people of the, um, the uh, Greater Kulin Nation. The Boonwurrung are one of the five major language groups of the Greater Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their ancestors, past, present, and their emerging elders, and to any indigenous people who are here tonight. Now, in 2019, the Louvre Pyramid by Chinese architect Ian Pei turns 30 and it's designed as a contemporary art installation. The pyramid is nowadays a landmark of the Parisian Museum, but it was also one of the most controversial cultural projects of Francois Mitterrand's presidency. Since, the Louvre Pyramid has been accepted and embraced and now houses art installations that look back on this controversial birth and refresh of its myth. So we welcome Ludwig Logier, curator of uh, the Louvre Museum, um, to speak about the pyramid and its work. Following the talk, we will have a question and answer opportunity. And one of the things that's really fun about this place is um, after question and answers, you're welcome to stay a little longer over a drink and continue the conversation. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much for receiving us. First of all, I have to apologize because you will understand that my English is quite approximative, but I hope you would understand me. And uh, secondly, uh, as you have been told, I'm a curator for Greek sculpture. I'm not a specialist of uh, history of architecture. But on the other hand, every day since I am 19, every morning I pass through the pyramids. So it's a, it's a very pragmatic way of experiencing this building, which, has been, uh, which as you have been uh, uh, heard is a landmark of, of the Louvre Museum. So nowadays, this building appear as, uh, appears as an evidence of um, uh, creativity and, uh, and the talent uh, of uh, pay architecture. But when it started uh, in the early 80s, it was much more complicated to implement this project in the very center of Paris, and this is the first part of my presentation that I, I would like to present you. So I guess you are not familiar with French politics, which makes sense. So you have to be remembered that in uh, 1981, President Mitterrand was elected, uh, and it was a little revolution in France because uh, it was a dramatic politic change in the, in the history of the Fifth Republic. It was the very first time a socialist president was elected, socialist in the French uh, way of thinking, which is 
not so revolution, revolutionary. But still, so here you have a picture of President Mitterrand with a red rose. It was, a, and it's still the symbol of the Socialist Party in France. And it was in May. Um, few months later, in September, so it's a very short delay, uh, President Mitterrand decided a huge program of uh, grand projet, as we say in French, grand travaux, big works, in Paris to restructure the architectural frame of the center of the city, especially on the cultural level, uh, which mean, uh, or meant a new opera house that you see here, a new national library, a new triumphal arc, which was definitely megalomaniac, because in Paris you have a series of arcs built uh, by Napoleon I. So for President Mitterrand, being the follower of Napoleon I was quite dairy. And uh, it's important to underline it, because it was in this atmosphere of very dairy project that the pyramid take place. Because the audience was kind of stressed and maybe reluctant in a way to see this program concerning major building and a triumphal arc in the middle of the list. So, um, to talk uh, very shortly about those projects, the arch was built by uh, Johann Otto von uh, Spreckelsen. I don't know if you know him. He's not famous. He's not famous at all. And uh, this arch is maybe monumental, but uh, it's not very uh, original, should, uh, should I say. Uh, Carlos Ott built the Opera House. Do you know about Carlos Ott? No. He's not well known either. It was, a, it was an international... No, and it's a funny story. It was an international contest to get the, to get the project. And um, the commission tried to be honest. So they, they read the, the, the pre-studies without uh, having the names to be, uh, to be uh, fair in this competition. And this project, in black and white, looked like the Richard Mayer project. Uh, Richard Mayer is much better known. Uh, for instance, for the Getty Center in, uh, in LA, in Santa Monica. And all the staff of President Mitterrand thought that the project that you see here was signed by Richard Mayer. So they say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And then they discover the name, and it was nobody. And, but legally, the process should, should, should go on. That's why we have this opera house, which is l much less beautiful than the one in Sydney, for instance. So it was not a total success, should I say. Uh, the um, National Library uh, was signed by Claude Perrault. I don't know if you know Claude Perrault. No. Uh, but in France, he's famous. And this is a very nice building. It's not convenient at all, at all, because all the books are in the tower. And the reading rooms are around this huge forest, which is very dairy. But to process the shipment of the books every day from the tower to the reading uh, area, it's a nightmare. But you know, it's always the same problem at stake 
when you build a building, it, it has to be useful, but it's not the main idea of the architect in some, in some cases. And this is the case. So among those projects, and it's very important to, uh, to understand that it was a huge program, François Mitterrand has a major goal, which was uh, the, to embellish and to, um, to, to, to make the Louvre much bigger. The Louvre, so this is the Louvre Palace here, was housed around what we call the squad uh, yard and this wing next to the river. This part of the building was occupied by the Ministry of Economy. And the Minister of Economy was uh, sitting very firmly uh, on his chair at his desk in his very beautiful office in this wing, and he didn't want to leave. So it was a battle to recover this uh, part of the building, which is a third of a building. But in the Fifth Republic in France, the president has more or less the power of uh, a monarch. So the, de the decision was, was made up. And um, the idea was, um, was to, to expand the museum, but also to find an idea to get a new entrance. Because when I was a kid, I used to enter by this way, at the very end of the building, and then you had to, to run all over the place to get here, for instance, to see uh, the sculpture uh, collection. There was an, another entrance on the river, separated, so it was not convenient at all. So the major issue at stake was uh, to expand the museum, but also to find out a way to... Uh, um, to navigate in the building in an easier way. So, here, it's a, an historical painting that reminds you that most of what you see around the pyramid nowadays, this is the project of Napoleon III between 1852 and 1857. This part of the palace has been rebuilt in an eclectic uh, style by Hector Lefuel and uh, Louis Visconti. And at the end of this series of galleries was the uh, Palais des Tuileries, the Tuileries Palace, the actual uh, Palace of the Kings, uh, that burned in 1870 during um, the Commune. This, uh, you know la Commune? This is a kind of... Uh, quick revolution that didn't last in Paris in, uh, in 1870-71. So this part of, of the building disappeared, and here you, you see an empty space. An empty space in the axe of what we call the Royal Perspective in Paris. The Royal Perspective, um, this is something that we can uh, found, we can uh, have a sense of, uh, since the medieval uh, period. Between uh, Vincennes, Castle of Vincennes, and Saint-Germain-en-Laye, which are not on this map, actually, and his castle, two royal castles, and between those castles, on the east-west axe, the Louvre, the Arc de Triomphe 
of Napoleon I and the new area much later of uh, the skyline of uh, the buildings of La Défense. So the idea was also to underline this historical axe, which was very important or has been very important since um, the 13th century, actually. So it was part of, of the Mitterrand uh, presidency project to find, uh, to find an, arch an architect to resolve of all, those, all those questions. And uh, in 1882, so only one year after this famous election, uh, President Mitterrand hired Emile Biazani, head of the Grand Louvre project. Everybody in France forgot about Emile Biazani, but without this guy, nobody, nothing could, uh, could happen. And uh, Emile Biazani himself, uh, with uh, Jack Lang, who was a Minister of Culture, was looking for an architect for this project. And uh, in spring uh, 1983, with President Mitterrand, they decided to hire a uh, pay without any uh, public or international context. Uh, on the, uh, if you compare to uh, the Opera House, which was a disaster, in this case, President Mitterrand said, okay, I, I don't want any contest. Uh, one, upon, one, one time is okay. I want full control on this project. So he got a list by Biazani and uh, Lang, and he picked up pay because uh, he was very interested by uh, what Paid achieved in America, and especially his museum in Syracuse, in uh, New York State, the Everson Museum, one of the first buildings he signed himself in 68, this one. But most of all, uh, the extension of the National Gallery in Washington, D.C., that you see here with those shapes that remind us something and this is the main hall inside the structure, the extension of the Fine Art Museum in Boston, which were um, seen as a success by the general audience and by the critic. So it was a very important point for President Mitterrand to have this uh, project in mind. And uh, later on, um, Pay built up this uh, little museum in Bloomington uh, on the campus of Indiana University um, in 1882. I saw it a few years ago and it's a very nice building actually. I'd, I'm not sure that the French team was aware of this one, which is very close to the pyramid project actually. I'm sure because this is in our archives that they base their choice on Washington, Boston, and possibly uh, Syracuse, less probably Bloomington, Indiana. But this was because of the success that uh, Pei was chosen. And here you have the first sketches of the pre-study he, uh, he produced in uh, spring uh, 1983. And Everything is there. The idea is to excavate this yard, the Napoleon yard, and to cap it with a pyramid, a square shape, in another one made of fountain, so it's a square shape in another square shape, and from 
this pyramid and this underground uh, reception hall, you can go in three directions, the three wings, the three main wings of the museum, the Dunham wing, the Sully wing, and the Richelieu wing. So in 83, everything was planned in a pay mind. And here, it's maybe a little bit more difficult to read, but you see again one square in another, the pyramid shape on plan, and here in elevation. So, one question is, okay, why Pei decided to build a pyramid as the major entrance of a museum such as the Louvre? When you read the archives, uh, you understand that his main idea was to adjust himself, to adapt himself to the surrounding. Uh, the Napoleon III facade, and most of us, of course, one of the most historical buildings in Paris. But um, a transparent structure is the answer to this question, but why in the shape of a pyramid? This, actually, we don't know. So because we don't know it, there is a lot of uh, phantasm um, to understand it. Um, and especially the fact that President Mitterrand was very fond of Egyptian civilization. Uh, during every uh, Christmas Eve, he used to travel to Egypt, especially to Aswan, in Old Cataract Palace, with his hidden uh, daughter, Mazarin Pinjot, because he has a hidden daughter. So, I'm telling you that, not just by uh, chance, because it's part of the controversy. When you don't understand why the power is choosing a shape, you try to invent a story. So, part of the story was, Okay, Mitterrand is fond of Egypt. He's going to Egypt secret secretly with a hidden daughter that he had with a curator from the Orsay Museum. There is a network. Actually, we don't know. Um, but um, the controversy is, uh, is, um, is part of the project, you will see. So here, this is the first uh, architectural models of the pyramid. And you see Pei himself with Michel Macari, a French architect who was associated to Pei, and Yann uh, Wemus, who was an engineer. And here the project is very early. It's in 83, 84. The, the shape of, of, of the project is almost definitive. You have the pyramid, its transparency, its shape, and this underground uh, reception hall and all the facilities that it could provide. But as I told you, there was a controversy. So this is Le Figaro, one of the major newspapers in, in Paris. So we are not talking about uh, Simone Veil, but about Louvre, the Battle of the Pyramid. Why? Because in 1884, the project has, had to be um, presented in front of the National Heritage Commission, composed of uh, specialists uh, on the uh, history of architecture, protection of the national heritage, uh, conservators, restaurators, and so on and so on. And this commission was uh, very talented, but more or less conservative. So they have been very uh, convinced by the idea of this project 
concerning the accessibility to the museum, the three, three way to uh, reach the three wings of the museum. On the other hand, they were totally crazy with this idea of the pyramid. I mean, a very simple and modern uh, shape in the middle of a very historical building. Um, on one hand, uh, they should have kept the debate secret because it's an internal commission. On the other hand, they wanted to, uh, uh, to make a sabotage. You understand sabotage? I think so. A sabotage of the project. So, of course, they told everything to the newspaper and the journalists. And this is only one example, the Battle of the Pyramid, the title, the headline of Le Figaro, and here a caricature when you see the pyramid and the underground, underground uh, reception, reception hall uh, designed or caricature as a, as a mole. Like, okay, you're going to implement a mole architecture in the palace of the king of France. So during one year, the um, debate has been really, really rough, extremely rough. And in this debate, because President Mitterrand was in first line, and now you understand the contest of the elections, the Grand Projet, uh, everywhere in Paris, on the Royal Axe, um, this type of uh, megalomaniac uh, way of uh, changing the city, of course, the debate was extremely uh, tough. And in part of the debate was also this obsession with the pyramid, why uh, Mitterrand would have this, would have this type of uh, taste, basically. Maybe it was, uh, I don't know how to translate that also. Francmaçon? Freemason, because the pyramid is a Freemasonic uh, shape. And there is another aspect, the everlasting uh, challenger of President Mitterrand was the next elected president, but during this period of time, who knows, who knew, Jacques Chirac. During this period of time, Jacques Chirac was mayor of Paris, and he was most of the time uh, targeting President Mitterrand because he was about to uh, run up for the next election. So the mayor of Paris said, okay, um, this is a presidential capriccio, um, but I want to have a clear idea of what it could uh, be, how it could appear. So let's make a try with only uh, a fake shape like this one. And Paid said, okay, we're going to try that. And very surprisingly, when President Chirac saw that, he, has been, he was convinced. Besides the fact that his interest was to fight President Mitterrand. But sometimes, you know, politics can go with uh, reason and um, politicians can be wise for a short moment. <laughs> so here you see Pei, hilarious, because he just understands that it's okay. He, can, he is in position to achieve his program. But before doing anything in Paris, uh, you have to, to process preventive dicks to discover what is under the 20th century or the, or the 19th century uh, lay of uh, ground. Uh, 
So it it was it was a rush, but it was in a rush. But uh, here you see the huge the huge um, space for these preventive uh, digs in the Napoleon Yard to discover the neighborhood which was there in the 16th and the 17th century. And in so here we are in this area. But because one of the access was going, was planned to go this way and also this way under the square yard, we also have to, had to excavate this square yard. And we knew, we, not I, uh, but the team, the French team knew that under this square yard there was a medieval castle uh, started by uh, Philip, King Philip Auguste during the 12th century. And then this building was, has been embellished by uh, Charles V during the 14th century. So it was very exciting to rediscover this part of the history of the Louvre. So this is basically what you see here. Uh, farewell. <laughs> OK, so here you see it was the entrance of the medieval castle. And here it was the main tower of the castle. So finally, the decision was to include this stru medieval structure into the underground uh, network of pay project. And it was, of course, a plus for the project itself. And now, uh, I don't have to comment it very much, but you see the building of, of the pyramid step by step. It's just to give you an idea of, of the um, the scale of, of the project here. Pay team had to, has to mainly uh, excavate all the space on a level of uh, 20 meters, which is quite a lot in the very center of a palace, of course. And here you see, little by little, the pyramid appearing. And here the shape is very readable. And this is one of the statues of the uh, historical uh, figure of, uh, of the um, Napoleon III decoration. And this one is looking at the pyramid like he's meditating this weird shape coming up. Other pictures. And um, as you see, uh, it went uh, quite well during three years. The building was built up in three years. And at the end, one of the major issues at stake was to adjust um, those uh, glass tiles, um, which were supposed to be ex extremely transparent. So uh, Pei um, talked with uh, Saint-Gobain uh, firm. Saint-Gobain has been uh, um, found uh, under the Louis XIV during the 17th century. So it's one, it's one of the best uh, companies we have in France for glass. And uh, Saint-Gobain started with Galerie des Glaces in Versailles. So it was also part of the debate, like, OK, definitely, President Mitterrand is totally megalomaniac, because now he's acting as Louis XIV, the, the king's son, because he wants to do the, the same process as as Louis XIV, with Saint-Gobain in Versailles, with Galerie des Glaces. Anyway, 
the Saint-Gobain company uh, had been very efficient to provide very uh, resistant and transparent glass. And to be totally honest, uh, it has been produced by Saint-Gobain in England. So <laughs> here you see a European cooperation a long time before the Brexit. And here you see it's why is the debate? Here you have an official photograph of President Mitterrand and Pei looking at Saint-Gobain glass. And uh, President Mitterrand is looking at French Excellency uh, since centuries and centuries. Ta -ta 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 -ta. So here you see how it. Oh. You don't see anything anymore. Okay. You see the long process of adjusting every tile on the metallic structure. And it's a view now on the reception hall, which is made of um, the pyramid itself, of course, but of also of uh, a bunch of uh, ceilings. Uh, there are uh, caped concrete uh, ceilings, and uh, Pei decided uh, to be very, uh, very precise about those uh, caped concrete ceilings. So he used, for example, a framework made of Oregon pine, so he imported pines from Oregon because of, of the shape of the wood and the structure of the fibers to get a better effect uh, on on the texture, texture, uh, texture of the ceiling here. And here you see the network of metallic uh, uh, support, which basically give a rhythm to the pyramid when you are inside. So it was also something very important for Pei to get uh, an effect from outside, but also from inside, not by the glass, but this time by, by the metal itself. And now, uh, this is a view of the inauguration of the pyramid in uh, uh, 1989. So for the anniversary of the French Revolution, of course the date was symbolical, but it was uh, completed in 1888, basically. And this is how we see it uh, nowadays. And um, there is a picture that I wanted to show you, but I didn't find it. During the, the building process, as uh, you can see in uh, any, any big uh, work in progress, you have uh, wooden panels around it to, to hidden all the, um, all the workers and so on. And in this case, on the wooden wall, uh, you, can, uh, you could read graffiti like uh, Vive le Roi, uh, you understand Vive le Roi? Long life to the king, or you are destroying the king house, and so on. So part of the controversy was also this attempt to a royal symbol, besides the fact that we live in a republic. And, um, and um, so we felt the debate, I was a kid, I, but I remember very well those graffiti. Um, painted by royalists, French royalists, yes, it does exist. But there are less than 1% of the population, so it couldn't stop the process of the construction of the building, actually. But why am I saying that? At the opening, everybody was surprised by uh, the result and actually uh, pay success. But uh, very short later, 
um, the pyramid became a landmark of the of the palace itself, but also of the city. And today it's always weird. It's uh, almost weird because uh, people know sometimes the pyramid better than the palace itself, and they are looking for the pyramid better than <laughs> looking for the palace. Not for the museum and, and its collection, of course, but if we talk about architecture. And uh, I think it's also important to, to keep in mind that of, uh, in Paris, this is our only pay building. You have one in, uh, in Melbourne, and we live in this building at the moment because it is a Sofitel uh, hotel. So we are very uh, lucky to be there, and we feel at home. But it's important to, to, to remind that this pay building in Paris is part of his career. And uh, if we go back to Syracuse Everson Museum, of course, from outside, it's very different. But inside, you see already in uh, uh, 1968, uh, the idea of these helicoidal stairs that you have here. So this is a, a way to compare those two buildings. And this is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in, Cle in Cleveland. And here you see that the pyramid shape has been uh, reproduced in 1995. So, of course, the Pyramid of the Louvre is not unique in pay career. It's a step among others. But, as I told you, uh, this is the only thing, little thing that I could uh, sum up about history of architecture because I'm a specialist of uh, Greek sculpture. So now I, I turn to issues and matters that I, I know a little bit better. In pay project, so here you see the pyramids, the Napoleon III facade, the reception hall, and to go from the entrance of the pyramid to the underground reception hall, you have this terrace and the stairs that I showed you previously. And to support this uh, first terrace, you have this pillar, which is called nowadays uh, Mitterrand Pillar because there is an inscription with uh, the name of President Mitterrand on it, like uh, President Mitterrand uh, inaugurated this building, blah, blah, blah. So on the Mitterrand Pillar, um, Pei had the idea, the idea to, um, to install a part, uh, one of the sculptures uh, housed in the Louvre collection. So another debate was at stake, of course. And uh, here, this is a sketch of Pei Studio with this colossal uh, capital from the Palace of Susa, so the Palace of Darius, the Persian uh, king, uh, built in the 6th century BC. So the idea was to uh, create um, a kind of contrast between this very modern structure and a very antique piece. But this one is um, six or seven meters uh, high, if I remember well. And the pyramid is 21 meter high. And uh, in fact, it's too big to be housed here. So this idea was rejected. Here, I'm totally concerned because this is part of the collection I create. Uh, the idea was, uh, alternatively, uh, to set up the Winged Victory of Samothrace. And that was 
probably one of the major uh, pay uh, option. Maybe because he knew um, Frank, Lang, Frank Lloyd Wright uh, uh, reception hall in the Met collection. If you go to the Metropolitan Museum in the American wing, you have um, Frank Lloyd Wright uh, house reconstructed with a reception hall and on a very beautiful desk designed by uh, Frank Lloyd Wright, you have a plaster, a copy of the Wing Victory of Simon Trace. And I, I'm not sure because it's not recorded in the, arch in the archive, but this contrast between uh, Greek antiquity and uh, modern uh, architecture uh, is not new, of course, was not new, and maybe Pei uh, had it in mind. Uh, anyway, uh, my predecessor, the predecessor of my predecessor, actually, Alain Pasquier, uh, was very embarrassed because he didn't want to, to look uh, conservative, old-fashioned, not dairy, but on the other hand, um, he was des desperate to, to lose this major piece um, in our galleries, inside the museum. So in instead of saying no, he said, oh, make it possible. Because as any uh, Greek uh, sculpture specialist, he had no scream. <laughs> Maybe you have the, the picture of the wing uh, victory in mind. So you have, this, you have the statue, you saw the statue, but the difficulty with this uh, piece of art is to uh, never forget that this is not only a statue, this is a monument. It was a naval monument housed in a Greek sanctuary in northern Greece, in northern Asian Sea, made of a statue. Thank you very much. No, I sit down. I don't move anymore. <laughs> Maybe it's me. So it's a monument made of a statue of a winged victory, landing basically on a ship which is the base of the monument. And the total monument is 28 tons. And the length of the base itself, it's uh, 11 meters. So, Pace catch was wrong, totally false. So my predecessor just said, mm, maybe you forgot the boat, or, or you don't have the right scale for the boat. So we would have been delighted to, to make it possible for you, but probably it won't be possible at all. So we escaped the, the, well, the, the idea of putting the winged victory under the pyramid. It would have been very beautiful, but it was not possible, and it's not our fault. <laughs> so the two first um, ideas were to put an antique under the pyramid to remember that the Louvre collection deal with a very broad uh, section of time from antiquity to 19th century, and that also that um, our bruises uh, are from the antiquity. Uh, Near Eastern for Susa, or most of all Greek for Western uh, civilization. But another idea, or another option, was to celebrate French culture in a very Frenchy, Frenchy museum, of course. Uh, so, other option um, to set up the thinker of Rodin in the same place 
and uh, there was there, there was actually two problems. First problem, the statue is a little bit, a little bit too big for the pillar, less than the wing victory of Samothrace, but still. And uh, other problem, when you see it, the statue from uh, below, very much from below, it's not very beautiful. He's not thinking, maybe he's uh, doing something else that I cannot pronounce. Um, so, after a little try with a fake thinker, everybody with a very embarrassed uh, <laughs> expression said, mm, maybe no. This option is much less known uh, even among us in the Louvre. This is a very beautiful sculpture, the Diane of Annette. It's a sculpture of the middle of the 16th century by Jean Goujon, maybe, or Germain Pilon, or Benvenuto Cellini, we don't know. But it was a, um, a statue um, commissioned by uh, Diane, um, the mistress of Henri II, to celebrate her beauty. And it was out, housed in Chateau of uh, Annette. And now it's in Louvre collection. It has been there since the French Revolution. So this is a monument. And this is a fake monument that has been tried under the pyramid to see the effect. And in this case, of course, the idea is to celebrate the French genius of sculpture during the French Renaissance. So, uh, of course, it's less universal, it's more Frenchy-Frenchy, and maybe it's not a good idea. I don't know, I don't know actually the reason why um, this statue has not been uh, picked up, but I should ask to my colleagues in the sculpture department, maybe they, they did the same trick as we did with the ring victory of Samothrace. But I don't know, to, 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 to be honest. No. Anyway, uh, no piece of our collection finally went under the pyramid. And the pillar stayed empty during uh, at least a decade. But uh, as we say in France, uh, empty space uh, never stay empty very long. C'est ce qu'on appelle l'horreur du vide. Horror for the emptiness. So after a moment, we decided uh, in the Louvre uh, to start a program of contemporary art under the pyramid, uh, which seems to be much more accurate because this idea of uh, an old sculpture, an ancient sculpture under a modern structure, it's, it's really postmodern. And uh, maybe it was okay in the 80s, but uh, nowadays it could be definitely cheesy. So, uh, contemporary art seems more appropriate. Well, this is my test, but I assume it. Uh, you know, postmodern as uh, Ricardo Boffi, architecture, for instance, to, to quote uh, a disaster. Uh, so, here, this is one of the first try. Tony Craig under the pyramid in uh, 2011. So, you see the result. And uh, one important point is to mention the fact that not in every case, but in this case and a few others, this was a landmark at the entrance of the museum, but other pieces from the same artists were on display elsewhere in the galleries. And in this case, in the French sculpture gallery, which is housed in the Richelieu wing, 
the one that uh, President Mitterrand decided to turn into a part of the museum in the 80s. So here it was a way um, to make all the audience of the museum uh, understand that there was something to discover elsewhere in the galleries, which is quite efficient, of course. Then came this sculpture by Loris Gréau, a French artist, very talented, very promising that we all forgot nowadays. But uh, Loris Gréau, that you see here, uh, proposed this statue of a veiled uh, character that we cannot uh, uh, know, we do not guess who he is. So myself, because I had to see it during six months, I call it uh, depressed Dark Vader. <laughs> maybe this is because I'm, I'm a specialist of Greek art, so maybe my, my, uh, uh, my ability to judge this type of sculpture is not, is not a good one. I'm, I'm maybe unable to understand it. But still, um, to be more serious, it was uh, dairy and uh, probably appropriate to give a chance to young French artists under the pyramid. And of course, it was part of a program to promote uh, those young French artists all around the world by a network which is uh, represented in this uh, audience. So the, the, the French Alliance, the French Institute, and so on. So it's, of course, a good way to try to advocate for young French artists. Another project was by... Uh, the sculpture by Wim Delvoy. I don't know if in, in Australia it's very uh, famous in Europe, but do you know Wim, De Wim Delvoy? He's from Belgium. Okay, so this one is called Suppo. And here is a sculpture. So it's, it's a metallic st uh, structure um, using medieval patterns that are twisted in a very dynamic way. So it was maybe the first time uh, one sculptor used the very vertical uh, space of the pyramid to, uh, to get this, uh, this effect of, uh, of a high, very high uh, shape in the middle of a very transparent uh, box. So you can like it or not, but it was maybe the first time it was uh, conceived according to the, to the pyramid itself, totally. So maybe, uh, I forgot the date, it was in 2014, if I remember well. Aline, maybe? Yes, probably. So it, it was a good try. The one I do prefer, but this is only my test, um, is the project of Pierre Lévesque, another French artist, but much older, uh, that stayed under the pyramid during two years, Maybe because uh, I did like it. No, not at all. <laughs> because we were many <laughs> to like it. Of course, at the end, we were a little bit fed up, but still. So this is, I forgot the name, the, the word in English, an éclair, a thunderbolt. An éclair? Thunderbolt, okay. Uh, made of uh, red light. And during the day, you, you just barely see it, but during the night, of course, you discover it much more. And when the weather is very bad in Paris, very grayish, which is often the case, um, it's very uh, dramatic and romantic. 
besides the fact that Pere Lévesque is not romantic at all. But um, that was another project very um, well conceived according to the pyramid itself. And to me, um, it works when the artists look at the pyramid, at pay project, and try to propose something which is, of course, not only his landmark, his work, but something uh, totally designed for the building. And this was the case. That's maybe why, because it was efficient, it stayed two years, and then, of course, we decided to, to see something else. So it was a little uh, selection, almost complete, actually, about what we presented as contemporary art in the pyramid. But there is also the issue of what we try to apply on the pyramid. Of course, it's another device. Uh, so Jenny also, um, in... Uh, no, 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 no. I have to calculate. 2009, for the 20th century, uh, the 20th uh, birthday, sorry, of the pyramid, proposed those projections of, te of text on the pyramid. Uh, and it was very efficient during the night, besides the fact that the sentence, sentences themselves are totally depressing. But Jenny also, as a, well, she's working in, in such a way, so we have to respect it. And um, it was a first try to play with the surface of a building which is meant to be transparent. So that was maybe the most interesting part of this work. And uh, beside um, this work, we had the projection and pictures of Jenny Olser inside the gallery at the same moment. And uh, more lately, we invited uh, J.R. Do you know J.R.? Very, very famous uh, in Europe and in, maybe in America too. So it's a street artist, but now he's very institutional, so he's not so streety anymore. But, um, and his first idea, so here is JR behaving as a street artist. Oh, cool and funny. Uh, he had a good idea to me to put wallpapers on this transparent, translucid structure, which was the idea, the main idea of pay, to reproduce the facade of Napoleon III project so that the pyramid itself would disappear. And maybe um, the royalists from the 80s or um, the um, journalists in Le Figaro would have been delighted to know that uh, contemporary, contemporary artists would uh, one day uh, get the idea to make the pyramid dis disappear for, for, the world, the, um, for the king's sake. No, but to be, to be, uh, to be more serious, um, it was very uh, surprising because when you are used to work there or for a Parisian to go through this yard every day because you go to work, because you go back to home, during one, uh, during one month, it was almost that, I guess, c'était un mois, one month, you couldn't see the pyramid anymore. Or uh, you realized only that part of the facade was in black and white. So it was uh, very poetic, and it was uh, maybe the most efficient way to play with uh, this building, uh, from outside, I mean. And we invited again 
JR uh, this year to celebrate the 30th birthday of the pyramid by pay. And this time, um, the wallpaper were applied on the, the other side of the pyramid and uh, on the floor around the pyramid to give the illusion that everything uh, is collapsing and that you see underground not a reception hall but all the depths of uh, Parisian history and uh, Parisian history or so and so because here you have uh, antique columns which are a little bit postmodern and we go back to this issue of postmodernism uh, and uh, its uh, cheesy effect but well Let's, let's, uh, let's commute this part uh, to better judge the rest of the project, uh, with, which was very temporary because it was meant to be, applying during, to be applied on every surfaces during uh, one week, I guess. And uh, it was planned to, to last only uh, one day because, because everybody is working there. So, uh, of course... Uh, with all the visitors of the Louvre, after one day, uh, it, it disappeared. So the, it was part of the poetry of the project that it, it was very impressive, and, but you have to look at it uh, very quickly, one day, and then, of course, it was the end of this show. And um, this is also the end of this uh, messy presentation. Again, sorry for, for my English, because most of the time I speak with my French colleague in French during the day. So I didn't adjust myself to your very nice language. Uh, if you have any question, I think I would be unable to answer. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Ludwig uh, Lozier. That was a, a fascinating and very engaging presentation. Really enjoyed it. Now, uh, we have the opportunity for some questions and answers uh, with the microphones, but we also could gather in a huddle and have a bit of face-to-face -face time if you prefer. Let me know. Um, does anybody have a question? Um, there was an article in the New York Times recently written by one of their head arts writers, and um, he was talking about the issues of the Mona Lisa and mm -hmm. what that presents in terms of audience flow and um, how there are just thousands upon thousands of people going to live every day predominantly to see the Mona Lisa. Mm -hmm. um, and so he suggested, in order to negate that issue, that the Mona Lisa should be removed from the Louvre entirely and placed in its own pavilion on the grounds. So as a curator, I was wondering um, what your opinion is on that suggestion. I won't answer uh, without my uh, lawyer. <laughs> Maybe I have one in, <laughs> in the team. No, but there was, it has been a very uh, long and old debate in the Louvre between uh, creators, security, directors um, in the team. Because on one hand, you wish Mona Lisa should be part of a collection among other Italian painting from the beginning of the 16th century and especially from Northern Italy. And as a student, I remember when I was a student in School of the Louvre in the same building and then as a young fellow in the Louvre, um, I remember that the mainstream was to keep it in the gallery and it was my opinion very firmly. I would have, you know, uh, organized a dying in front of it 
in the case we should withdraw it from um, the Italian section of the de uh, painting department. On the other hand, you're right, uh, well, not you're right, you mentioned that um, thousands and, and thousands of visitors literally run to the Mona Lisa to look at it and to make some photographs and it's very difficult for the rest of the audience to appreciate uh, paintings around it like uh, Veronese and uh, Lorenzo Lotto and uh, Tiziano for instance. So what do we do when we curate in a museum such as the Louvre with those two aspects of, of the question? Um, for the moment, we keep the idea that this is part of history of art and part of the collection and we try um, our best to keep it there. Maybe one day, we, we don't know, we would have to invent another solution, uh, but if we remove it from the gallery uh, to present it in a very, I would say, efficient structure uh, designed for uh, um, Mass, mass visiting, um, that wouldn't be the good answer if we do not prepare a full program to introduce the, the audience to the, this painting, not as a circus attraction, but as a landmark of uh, universal history of art. So if one day we do that, and it's not the plan at the moment at all, it should be a comprehensive um, program and not only a pavillon with the Mona Lisa you, you get out, you get in, you get out you get your picture, end of the show so maybe I don't understand by yes or no but I give you an idea of what, could, what is the debate at the moment well, it's been very fascinating to listen to not only the, uh, the architectural uh, legacy of, of what appeared to be uh, potentially seen as an ego trip, but became so much more. Mm -hmm. um, and fascinating also that uh, it's only in recent times that uh, the, uh, the installed pieces inside on the, on the pillar uh, started responding to the architecture, and that became a language that was much more dynamic. Um, little by little, actually. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that's fascinating. Mm. Uh, thank you so much for sharing yeah. so much with us tonight. Thank you. Um, I have to address you a question, actually. Uh, yep. Because um, yesterday we had meeting in, uh, in your very beautiful museum because we are not here for uh, no reason. We have plans. <laughs> <laughs> and we will be back. Um, and uh, the very talented director of the museum um, told us that um, a new wing is uh, um, in... Um, yeah, the NGV Contemporary. Yes, yes. NGV Contemporary is, is being prepared. Mm. So you're going to have a debate... And uh, my question is, uh, are you afraid of this program? Or, because I, we've, we felt that Melbourne is a very dynamic city where you can mix modern and uh, mm -hmm. traditional historical mm -hmm. architecture very easily. Mm -hmm. So are you afraid of this mm -hmm. uh, perspective or not at all? Certainly, that's been a very live conversation. Even here, uh, two nights ago, we had a, a conversation with a group of architects about mm -hmm. what should we expect from our, our, our contemporary arts organisations mm -hmm. as they uh, build an environment that is then to stage a cultural expression. Mm -hmm. And every summer, mm -hmm. we have a different building here mm -hmm. that, that people respond to very differently. So that response mm -hmm. to the architecture, I think, is a very important mm -hmm. question. Uh, does anybody have any comments around uh, 
the NGV and, and, and what it might hold in terms of being our major... Uh, yeah. uh. <laughs> Just a general statement. I suppose um, everyone is quite excited and a little mm. bit apprehensive. Mm. But um, one of the strengths, I think, uh, is that what could be perhaps described as a kind of constellation mm. of yes. uh, galleries yeah. and spaces here. And mm. um, so long as though two can coexist, I think it will be very exciting. And in fact, it might spur some more um, uh, creativity or perhaps a kind of dialectic between the two, maybe. But yeah, it would be very interesting. But I can't imagine it's going to happen very quickly. <laughs> so we'll see. Okay. I hope for something exciting. Yeah. Yes. You yeah. hope that it could provide something beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And be patient because, you know, in, in Paris, it started very badly. And uh, it, it took a little while uh, before the pyramid uh, actually became a total landmark. And today, uh, every Parisian is very attached to the monument. Sometimes you ask, we, uh, you ask a question, not to your friend, but you, to your grandparents, of course, because they were from the generation very reluctant to this type of project, sometimes reluctant to President Mitterrand, who knows. And uh, even the generation of, of our grandparents are very fond of the pyramids. So then you can be very optimistic sometimes. Most of the time you can, you can get something very exciting from... Uh, museum project as a new wing or a new entrance. But don't forget to, to write bullshit on the wooden hole like God save the Queen, any, anything like that. It's a conversation. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.